Martha Van Houten, and each week I'm here with Brian Buck, lead pastor at Oaks Parish, to go a little deeper into Sunday sermon and to keep the conversation going throughout the week as we journey together in learning what it means to abide in Christ for the renewal of all things. So let's dive in. Well, here we are, Brian, for our very first episode of the Oaks Parish podcast. This is exciting. We've been kicking around an idea like this for a while and have finally jumped in. And just like anything you put your heart and your soul into, we, of course, have hopes and expectations and vision for this podcast. So would you share a little bit more about your vision for this? Why did you want to do a podcast? Yeah, we began having a conversation about this probably two years ago just really exploring it and thinking more intently about it. I feel like over those past two years, it's felt like uh, leaves in the gutter. You just, you keep putting it off and putting it off. And then finally that moment comes and you're so glad you did it. So I'm so excited that we've reached this point. uh, And I'm really looking forward to how God will bless our community uh, through this ongoing conversation. So you asked about, why we were doing this, why have we been thinking about this uh, for the past two years? Let me first say what we're not trying to do here. Uh, We're not trying to start a thing here for the internet. Uh, We're not trying to go viral or anything like that. But our mission here at Oaks Parish has always been centered on discipleship. And so there's a couple of different aims that we wanted to accomplish through this podcast. One was uh, to go a little deeper with the sermon. I have about 25 minutes that I have to preach a sermon each and every Sunday and for us to spend time uh, in the passage, whatever series that might be. And there's lots of things that have to be cut away, Uh, lots of different ideas that I'm not able to present. And so this gives us the space to uh, really dig deeper, to go deeper into some points but also to go down some rabbit trails uh, that we just really didn't have time to cover during the sermon. So in a way, this really continues our conversation for Sunday morning. And I think especially if you're in a discipleship group at Oaks Parish, particularly one that is using uh, the sermon application questions and you're reflecting on the sermon passages each and every week, I think you're going to find this a particularly valuable tool Uh, just to continue thinking thoughts after God uh, as we walk through passages. So really the the ultimate purpose of this podcast is to help the people of Oaks Parish abide with Christ in a deeper way uh, so that we can experience God's renewal uh, in all facets of our life. That's great. That's, That's what we're here to do. So every Monday, a new episode exploring Sunday sermon. We'll have guests on from time to time. We'll do some Q&A sometimes as well, which will be really fun. So I'm looking forward to it and just grateful to, to our community for listening and for wanting to keep the conversation going throughout the week. So thank you for exploring that and setting that vision. And without further ado, let's get into the good stuff, which was the sermon on 1 Samuel 1 which you entitled a longing fulfilled. And whenever I hear the word longing, it makes all the difference that it's paired with the word fulfilled. So when I hear those words together, I literally can't 
stop myself from just taking a deep breath or just releasing like this long relieving sigh. They're very like embodied words. The longing just makes me suck in all this air and hold my breath and tense up. And then I hear fulfilled and it's like, I can exhale and I can breathe deeply again. And when I experience this story um, about Hannah in particular, that's that's her experience as we travel even deeper and longer in the biblical story as well. That's the embodied experience of those who recognize Jesus and who acknowledge him as king. It just seems to me that those words encompass nearly all of the biblical story of the story of redemption, that every day is this inhale and exhale of our longings and our expectation of fulfillment. For sure. And I think that the whole idea of longing is intriguing in and of itself. At the beginning of the sermon yesterday, I talked about uh, the nature of good stories and how we enjoy good stories and good stories capture us. And without really much thinking about it, when we're reading a good story, we find ourselves inside of it. And we expect redemption somehow, some way within the stories that are told and the stories that we read. And so I think that ultimately points to how God is working in the world. I think it ultimately points, it's kind of a self-evident reality of scripture itself that we longing in and of itself is a cry for redemption And we find that story arc in scripture and we find that true in the human soul. And I think uh, that just those two realities uh, marry perfectly uh, just in terms of uh, the reality that we're made for God, um, that that we're made to be with him uh, now and forever. That's great. So as we're drawn into this story, we find these three themes, longing, we've talked about holiness and kingdom. And one of the most striking moments, I think, in this passage is when you pointed out that God met Hannah's heart with joy and peace, even before giving her a baby. She was desperate for the shame and the disgrace of her barrenness to be taken away and probably thought that just, you know, having having a baby, having that longing be fulfilled in that way is what would take away that shame and disgrace. Because for one, that's how the culture worked right? That was her reputation, her value, her insurance, not to mention she was constantly be shamed, being shamed by this, the other wife in the story. This is just like this true source of pain for Hannah. So you can't really fault her for feeling that desperation. And I think when we find ourselves in a position like Hannah, we want to solve it for God. We like to decide on the simplest solution to our pain and our longing. If I just had X, Y, or Z, I would be okay. We're just looking for the longing to be fulfilled in a very specific way. So I appreciate how you showed us in the text that Hannah's longing is actually fulfilled before a baby is conceived. Her longing is fulfilled with this sense of peace and joy that God has met her and settled her heart. Uh, And it, it reminds me of this reading that we're doing as a staff team in the book, The Way to Love by Anthony DeMello. For those that haven't read it in nearly every chapter so far, DeMello talks about the attachments we have, the things or the people that we've set forth as kind of ultimate in our vision. 
where we believe we'll only be okay or happy if we um, hold tight to our attachment. That could be something that we already have that we can't let go of or something that we desire so desperately that we can't find happiness until we attain it. But DeMello keeps unveiling for us that this thing or this idea that we're so attached to is actually making us anxious and afraid and ashamed and miserable. And it's such like a, a fragile longing. And if only we had allow ourselves to just be met by God to just release what we cling to, we'd find that his love and peace and joy are present and that they're enough. They're not fragile. They're sturdy and steadfast. And we can discover like Hannah, that finding our identity in Christ and in our belovedness is enough. Yeah, that's very well put, Martha. Um, you know, when I was studying this passage last week in preparing for the sermon, I, I wasn't able to say all that needed to be said around shame. Uh, but shame in this story is not monolithic. It's really a, a two-sided coin that we all experience uh, year in and year out in our life. Uh, there's internal shame that we feel where for some reason we feel incomplete. We feel less than human. Uh, we feel broken. We feel empty. And so therefore we feel less than it's like this cloud is hanging over us. And what sin has done to our heart is we believe that if, if we just had this thing, this attachment X, Y, Z, whatever it is, then that reality would change for us. And what Hannah discovered internally is that what she really needed was God so that then she could appropriate, re appropriately relate to the rest of reality mm. in, a, in a flourishing way. Um, that's kind of the renewal that we talk about when we're abiding in Christ or as we abide in Christ. But shame is also external. And, and this is, a, I think, a key part of the passage that we don't get to, uh, that we didn't get to in the passage. Uh, the other wife in the story, uh, Panina, she also felt incomplete. She had Elkanah's children. They had children together, but she didn't have Elkanah's love. And Hannah had her love, had his love. And so as a result, um, she feels empty. She feels incomplete. She feels a sense of shame for a woman living in the ancient Near East. And so what does she do with that shame? Uh, she projects it onto Hannah through derision. And that's a fascinating picture of how our self-contempt can turn into other contempt, a contempt for others where we take out our shame on others. And so the same thing that in the same way that, Han that God met Hannah, uh, Penina also needed to be met by God. Okay. So again, I want to point out that it seems like our longings and our desires are a product of something, whether it was Hannah or Penina, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Um, like Hannah's desire for a baby was a product of her situation with her husband and his other wife of her culture. A lot of that was completely natural, even biologically speaking, for her to desire a child for Penina. It's a totally 
natural desire for to receive the love of your, you know, your partner, your husband or your wife. Similarly, Israel has this longing for a king. Maybe that is, you know, in large part to keep up with the Joneses, but also, you know, to just get a handle on their issues, (laughs) the things that they feel like, you know, they need governance for things. So it's not that our longings or our desires are wrong. They're very human, but it's our misplaced trust uh, for the fulfillment of those longings is where we wind up ashamed and disappointed. And you made a statement that I thought was, was really impactful. It's good to be disappointed by the world. That's what you said. And so to get really practical, to kind of help us identify our own propensity for this mistraced, misplaced trust today, like in our current cultural moments, where do we find ourselves placing our trust? Yeah, when we read about couples struggling with infertility in the Old Testament, for example, we think about that in a very modern way. I don't know that we completely ascertain the fullness of what that meant for these couples in their day. And I noted this just in the sermon yesterday that um, children weren't just for the sake of, of parents, you know, there, I said, there wasn't any, there wasn't helicopter parenting going on in the ancient Near East. Uh, Children were a primary source of identity and security for men and women in the ancient Near East. Uh, It was a source of pride that if you were able to have children and multiple children, a house full of children, then you had your tribe it was representative of strength in the ancient culture. But then it was also a means of identity in terms of security. You know, as children grew up, they became your workforce in whatever business uh, you had. Or uh, at the end of your career, children became your retirement plan. There was no social security safety net. And so in the ancient world, having children was uh, critical to life. And it was a primary source of identity. And when a couple was not able to have children, uh, that strikes at the core of ancient identity, both in terms of, of power, reputation, and as well as security. We might not think about our children that way. I mean, we might feel that way just in terms of how well our kids do academically or how well little Johnny did in the, in the baseball game on Saturday. Uh, Sometimes we think about our kids that way, but it doesn't carry that same weight that it did in ancient culture. Uh, And yet today we look to other things, uh, especially here in the West, success, money, sex. I mean, if you just watch commercials that come on television that will tell you about the things that we trust in naturally, because those commercials are hitting on those, those emotional notes in our heart. And all of these commercials, uh, although they're different, um, they all speak of the ideal life. They're advertisements for financial advisors. Uh, It's a product with sex appeal. You know, we find security in success, money, sex. And when we don't have those things, we feel a sense of shame. Mm. We feel a sense of, of lacking that we're incomplete. 
in both in the ancient world and today, um, this is where relationship with God is so critical. This is the power of the gospel that it's only God that can make us fundamentally complete. And what Christ won for us was that relationship. Therefore, the cross takes away our shame. And therefore, our heart is filled with the loving presence of God that makes us complete. That's incredible. That's great. I've been reading a book by Kurt Thompson called The Soul of Shame. He's a MD, a psychiatrist. He is an expert in interpersonal neurobiology or something like that, which I couldn't even begin to explain what that actually means. But his premise in this book, The Soul of Shame, shame being something is wrong with me, but not just that, or or I'm bad, or I'm not enough, but not just that, but that there's nothing I can do about it either. I couldn't get myself out of this, even if I wanted to. And in reality, like we can't do anything about it. We don't have to because God in Christ has accomplished that all for us. He is our righteousness. I don't have to strive to be okay, to be okay, nor, nor be ashamed of the ways in which I fall short. Right. I only have to trust in the renewal of the spirit within me. So yeah, the work, the work of Christ is incredible because when we experience internal shame, we're basically accusing ourselves when we experience external shame, we're hearing accusations from others, but the work of Christ silences all of those voices and speaks to us the only voice that ultimately matters. And that's God, the father. Mm-hmm. And we're promised, uh, particularly in the writings of John, that just as God loved the son, so we experience that same love. So that's an in, that's a complete love. Uh, that's an ineffable love. That's an, an, an eternal love that will never end. Um, that has no end. That uh, that makes us more than complete. That's, that's great. That's so fundamental. Back to this idea too of our like where we're misplacing our trust, our propensity to do this. And I love how you opened up for us the the doors of the ancient world, basically to see what children meant to them then. But I do think that we do look for our security still now in our children in some ways or in our parenting. It's definitely different, but I feel, I don't know if it's generational for different parents, you know, if it's the same for, you know, whatever it is, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Y, Z, I don't know all of the different ones, but this sense of like anxiety towards raising a human that does make us feel successful, that makes us feel like we did a good job. If our children are, if they're successful, if they're good, um, that gives us a sense of feeling, a sense of power and security, I think, in its own way. Yeah, I mean, in the ancient world, perhaps the idol was children, as in the case of, of Hannah, for example. This was her deepest longing. But perhaps today we've made our children subservient to our cultural idols yeah. that we're seeking to employ our children for the sake of attaining 
these idols, status, reputation, whatever it might be. So I have one more question. I imagine that as you're preparing and you're studying, you come across so much uh, just really enriching and important content about the passage that you can't possibly fit it all into your sermon. So what was something important that you saw in the text that you didn't have to commute time? You didn't have time to communicate this week. Yeah. And one of the commentaries that I'm using for this series, I came across the idea that Hannah amidst this struggle that she can, she confessed to, to Eli was a struggle of anxiety and vexation. This is very real. We've, we've all had these sorts of feelings. But it's fascinating how she comes to the temple. And even though Eli was a less than ideal priest, and we're going to see more of that with he and his sons as we go along in the story, Hannah came to the temple And she had this expectation of Eli's priestly role in her life. And she was open and honest and vulnerable with him. And she opened up her heart to him. And he, because of the corruption in Israel, he didn't quite know what to make of this holy earnestness. And and yet Hannah sought the blessing of the Lord, not just in general, but specifically in the temple and through Eli's priestly ministry. And one commentary I read just pointed out the idea that in a sense, Christ was reaching through the priesthood to minister to Hannah. And I find that fascinating. We're, we're in a, a day and age where a post-pandemic and after so much uh, turmoil and corruption in leadership in the church that uh, we have many people becoming de-churched, many people leaving the church, maybe even leaving faith altogether. And yet uh, this is a story of God's faithfulness to us still. And it's not just kind of this ethereal uh, faithfulness it's a faithfulness specifically through his church, specifically through the priests, the ministers of his church. And so as Hannah comes and presents herself to the Lord at the temple, there's almost this sacramental quality of the experience. And I think that that points to the, to the true mystery and beauty of the church. I think in the early chapters of the Old Testament, we find God appearing to Moses, for example, in the wilderness or Joshua after he crosses the river Jabok uh, or excuse me, Jacob with Jacob's ladder. You know, we find God meeting people in the wilderness. But after giving these instructions regarding the tabernacle, which eventually would become a permanent fixture in Jerusalem, under the reign of Solomon as the temple, God begins showing up to people at the temple. And even with Mary and Joseph, they, they take Jesus as a baby to, to present him unto the Lord, uh, much like Hannah did with Samuel. And it's there at the temple that Mary and Joseph run into these prophets 
that speak these words of salvation over Jesus. Again, there's this sacramental nature of God meeting people at the temple. And I think that's a really compelling picture for our day and age when so many are wondering, what's the purpose of church? Why should I attend worship? What should I expect? What difference does it make? And the difference is a sacramental difference that we find uh, in worship, particularly in the word and in the sacraments. Mm. Yeah. So it's no accident that we gather and worship together in a sacred space that of course we could meet God, as you said, you know, happened prior to the temple. We could meet him on a hike. We could meet him, you know, in, in another setting, but that there is something sacramental and sacred about being gathered in, in a house of worship, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is the compelling vision for the church. That's beautiful. Well, we will be continuing this series in first Samuel for the next five weeks before we take a break for the season of Advent. And in these first weeks, in, uh, these first six weeks in first Samuel, no doubt questions will pop up or wonderings or things that we all want to know more about. So we are inviting you as listeners to submit all of your questions that Brian can then answer in an upcoming episode of the pa- of the podcast. All you need to do is go to oaksparish.org backslash podcast. And up at the top, you'll see a button to send in your questions. And then be sure to listen to Brian's responses on Monday, November 27th for a special Q&A episode. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. And just to kind of give our people here at Oaks Parish, uh, an understanding of where we're headed over these next uh, six weeks. The first seven chapters of First Samuel really form a prequel. I mentioned Star Wars yesterday. Uh, many of us grew up with what was really the fourth movie of Star Wars. And then later on, the first three prequel movies came out. There are varied opinions about that. But um, in a sense, the first seven chapters of First Samuel are the prequel, uh, the prequel uh, passages of Israel's monarchy. So we're kind of having this behind the scenes look, this foundational understanding uh, before Israel's kings even come into existence. So uh, it's an exciting journey. And we'll find those three themes of, of longing, holiness, and kingship perpetually unfolding in these first seven chapters as we begin to get a glimpse of Israel's monarchy. Right. Looking forward to it. We are thankful that you joined us for this first episode of the Oaks Parish podcast. You're invited to share it, to send us uh, some feedback or leave a review. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk more next week. 